Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and love for yourself, not convert you. And one more time, I shall say that we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I hope everybody is having a good day, you know, or as close to a good day as you possibly could have. Let me tell you, I am tired. I'm actually sleepy. So we're going to see what we can get through (laughs) on today's show, and more than likely it's going to be a part two to today's show because it's so much that needs to be unpacked in regards to, sorry, in regards to black Christian America. And, you know, today's show is black Christian America, are your pastors and TV preachers white supremacists? And so um, the notes on the show, basically it says, please join us as we discuss these pastors, preachers, and televangelists that have aligned themselves with Donald Trump. You don't have to be white to be a white supremacist and your pastors have set you up for a very rude awakening. And so for those that are familiar with the show, you know, we've been talking about things like this for years. And I remember specifically doing a show um, called The Prosperity Gospel of Donald Trump. And in that show I detailed, you know, some of the techniques that he was using, which are the same techniques that you see being used by these megachurch pastors and televangelists. And one thing I did say, and I remember saying this specifically to a lot of the um, congregants of color or parishioners of color, namely black folks, that you all have been set up. And, you know, with the election of Donald Trump, it's just becoming more and more magnified. And so it's really interesting because, anyway, so before I get into all of that, I want to make a couple of announcements. Well, not really announcements, but I definitely want to send our hearts and condolences to all the people that have been hurt by Hurricane Harvey. So it was not only Texas, it was Louisiana. We can't forget about them. Um, I've seen some wonderful work being done. you got people opening up, you know, food stands to make sure that people are fed. You have people, you know, bringing supplies to them. As I stated last week, you know, you should send money to the local organizations in that area so then they can get the supplies that are needed and we wouldn't have to incur the shipping charges or what have you. Well, a lot of these um, companies, if you place a large order, there is no shipping charge, no shipping and handling. But I think it's best to send the money to the local groups because they know what people need, and they're able to get it to them much faster than we would be able to. But I'm happy to see that a lot of these organizations are doing fundraisers. They're sending things their way, you know, and and it's going to help out tremendously. So I want to make sure we don't lose anybody or have anyone fall through the cracks. You know, we got to make sure that people that are – um, on a lower rung of the socioeconomic scale, if you will, we got to make sure that their needs are attended to as well. Many of them were not landowners, homeowners, or anything like that. So we must take all of that into consideration. In addition to that, we need to make sure that the undocumented and documented immigrants are taken care of as well. 
And unfortunately, there was a rumor going around saying that um, that they were checking people's papers at the shelters, and that was not true. As a matter of fact, um, there had been a law passed in Texas regarding, you know, you know, their punishment of undocumented immigrants, and the federal judge suspended it during this time because, you know, this was a national disaster, you know, and and the last thing we need is for them, you know, undocumented and documented immigrants to be afraid. That's the last thing we need is for them to be afraid to go to these shelters and to end up being hurt and harmed because they were afraid to reach out for help. So, you know, that's a whole different dialogue, but, you know, I definitely want to encourage you guys to continue to send money to the small, you know, to the, to the organizations that are already based in Houston because they know what the people want and what they need. And we also need to understand and remember that it's not so much about helping today and maybe for the next week or the next month. It's going to take years to rebuild this. They still haven't rebuilt, you know, New Orleans since Hurricane Katrina, and it's been 12 years. So it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of work, you know, and and it's really interesting just watching the whole dynamic of this situation in conjunction with, you know, um, the Twitter president and what he's trying to do in this country. So one of the things that I saw with the talking heads over the weekend, they were talking about infrastructure and the rebuilding of the infrastructure in Houston alone. And they were talking about how many billions, really trillions of dollars is going to take to rebuild that particular city. And so interesting because, you know, one of the, you know, principles or tenets that the Twitter president had on his agenda was infrastructure rebuilding. And so now that we've had this disaster, it's going to be interesting to see how the funds are allocated. But one of the things they discussed was labor and how a lot of these construction sites and these businesses, construction businesses, have had a hard time hiring people. And so when you have the Twitter president and his cronies trying to run, you know, all of the undocumented immigrants out, and they're trying to run out some documented immigrants too. I don't want that to be lost on you guys. But, you know, that reduces the labor pool. So, I mean, for those of you that are out there and listening, if you're into construction, and I think they'd even be willing to do an apprenticeship and, and, and you know, train people, there's going to be a lot of jobs opening up in the Houston area, you know, as well as in New Orleans, because they have to rebuild. Because, you know, again, a lot of these people have lost everything. Um, flood insurance was not required. And, you know, over the weekend, I just started hearing different stories about the flood insurance. And I believe if you had more than three claims, they will not insure you anymore. And, you know, you can get flood insurance through FEMA, but, you know, there's red tape with that and also the three claims. And interestingly enough, 10 days before the flood hit, you know, the Twitter president, he basically, you know, repealed a law that, you know, Barack Obama put into place to help people in situations such as that. 
So it's just really interesting how all of these different things fell in place. I just want you to go back, do some reading, do some research, but, yeah, pass the word along. You know people that are into construction and, you know, they're mobile or, you know, willing to move. There's going to be a lot of jobs coming up and available in the Houston and New Orleans area. So you may want to keep your eyes on that. And especially for, you know, some of the young folks that may be interested in that, you know, you know, just be discerning in, in, you know, what you're trying to do. In addition to that, I'm pretty sure that there are some FEMA jobs <laughs> that are available too, not that anyone really wants to work for this particular administration. But, you know, most of the people in those positions, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, Donald Trump or any of his people coming to sit down next to you in your queue. So, um, yeah, just keeping an eye, keep an eye out. And, again, you know, watching those videos and the news stories, it just just broke my heart. And, you know, it was interesting how Donald Trump or the Twitter president went down there twice. The first time it seemed like his whole demeanor was, I don't want to get wet. I don't want anyone to touch me. I don't really want anyone to talk to me. And so he didn't go to the areas that were, you know, underwater and most affected by this hurricane. You know, he went to an outskirt, and, you know, he went back home, and there was such an uproar that, you know, they sent Mike Pence. And so Mike Pence did his thing, and then the Twitter president came back. And so, you know, he was serving food and putting boxes in people's vans and shaking the hands of some folks. And I was looking at those little kids, you know, running up to say hi and to hug him. It was just, it was interesting, you know, especially when I was looking at, you know, some of the black people and and their responses to him and in his presence. And, you know, you had some people treating him like he was a rock star, so needless to say, he was loving all of that. But in the meantime, I'm I'm just trying to figure out how you compartmentalize, you know, this you know, this particular situation. You have this one Twitter president who has galvanized, emboldened and empowered a white supremacist movement in this country because even when he was running I I always used to call it his White Lives Matter, you know, campaign, his White Lives Matter movement. And so we're seeing the manifestations, you know, and the fruition of some of those, you know, those seeds that he has sown. And, you know, when I see, you know, black people walking up to him and, you know, even with when I see, like, you know, Latinx people walking up to him and running to shake his hand, and, you know, it just, it amazes me, you know, and um, <laughs> Raina and I had a discussion about that yesterday, and we were laughing about some of the black kids running up to give him a hug, but um, that's a whole different story there. So anyway, you know, I want you guys to, you know, again, send your thoughts, your well wishes, you know, your positive energy, and for those of you out there that pray, send your prayers to the people in Houston, but while you're doing all of that, you need to remember that they need tangible things. 
So, you know, um, I know they were asking for um, more feminine hygiene products. You know, they're needing that. They need more diapers, you know, for the babies. And, I mean, even some adult diapers because you have some people out there that, you know, have some challenges. So we can't forget that. So, you know, while you're sending positive thoughts and, you know, and your prayers and all of that, please remember that you need real-life money. They need real-life supplies. You know, they need real-life hugs. You know, some of those people, you can just see the devastation in their eyes. So you can pray and do all of those wonderful things that, you know, and you know what? Some people can't do anything. You know, they don't have the money or the supplies. And you know what? That's all right, too. You know, the thing is, is that if you see, you know, some articles about where you can send money, especially for people that, you know, we already know they're going to fall through the cracks. And those are usually, the, you know, marginalized groups and communities, which black people, Latinx people, you know, um, indigenous people. I didn't hear one narrative about the indigenous, you know. And so you have a number of groups out there that are going to fall through the cracks, and especially if they're not homeowners or landowners, you know, the renters and people like that you know, what are they going to be reimbursed for, especially if they couldn't even afford renter's insurance. And renter's insurance may not cover that either. It really depends on what type of policy you have. So, you know, it's like, you know, while we want to send those things out, you know, we got to make sure that we live in this reality. And even if you don't have any money or supplies to send, that's fine because, I mean, we've all been in that position. But just forward the information along so that others can, you know, help out. So, you know, thank you for listening to that particular public service announcement regarding, <laughs> um, you know, regarding what went down in Houston, Texas, and the surrounding suburbs, and you can't forget New Orleans, and all of those people in between. If you saw the coverage of Port Arthur and Beaumont, you know, unfreaking believable. You know, and, and I'm pretty sure you all have heard about that chemical plant with the explosions and the fires. I know I posted that on my Facebook page. Um, it was an NPR program, and it was talking specifically about that and about how Texas has, you know, again, put, in, put a law in place so that these chemical companies and these other corporations do not have to disclose the chemicals that they have on site. They used to be required to, to disclose that information, a tier two report, but not so much now. So, you know, just keep an eye out on that. And I'm hoping the people that live in that area, you know, if they rebuild that area, you know, just keep an eye on that. And I hope that there are no long-term health consequences to that. But you never know. You know, they cover up so much and they lie about so much crap that you don't know what to believe anymore. So it's been interesting. And, yeah, Kim Jong-un over there, you, <laughs> you know, he, he got a whole different thing going on over there. So for those that aren't aware, around midnight, you know, 11, 12 o'clock our time, Basically, he's over there testing bombs. He said he has a hydrogen bomb, and that's what they were testing. And so needless to say, there were a lot of unhappy people in America, China, Japan, and South Korea. 
So this should be very interesting watching this particular narrative develop. But, you know, again, I want you guys to understand, and, you know, and he said this in interviews, Kim Jong-un, he basically said he's not looking to use those missiles and, and his nuclear arsenal to hurt other people. He's trying to protect himself and his legacy. And so, you know, it's interesting because his dad, you know, just go out and look it up. You know, it's just it's unreal. But basically he's trying to cover his ass and protect his ass. So, you know, I guess he's saying won't have none, won't be none, don't bring none, right? And so um, this has been very interesting to watch. You know, I can't wait to see how it plays out. But, you know, again, they went to the U.N., and the U.N. voted to put, you know, an embargo on North Korea. And so needless to say, Kim Jong-un was not happy with that. And, you know, some of this is rebellion. Some of this is flexing the muscles or saber rattling or however you want to, you know, characterize this particular type of behavior. But, you know, it all boils down to the fact that as, as you know, Steve Bannon put out there that, you know, a military option is not necessarily on the table. Because, you know, if if we were to go after Kim Jong-un with, you know, missiles and all of that, then what the hell is going to happen to China, Japan, Korea, South Korea, or Los Angeles at that rate? Or Hawaii, you know, hit any of those places. So, you know, you got to take all of that into consideration. But, you know, it's, it's been interesting to watch. And, you know, see how all of that plays out. But, you know, they're talking, Donald, uh, Twitter president, basically was saying that, you know, he's tired of us paying them extortion money. And basically he wants to stop doing business with the people who does business with North Korea. And, prime, you know, basically that would point to Russia and China, specifically China. And, you know, it all boils down to this. If we stopped trading with China, and if they called in their chips, if you will, the amount of money that we owe them, you know, all hell will break loose. What do they say when America sneezes, the whole world jumps? And so, you know, there are a lot of economic fallout that can come from that. But also I need for you all to pay attention to understand You know, the Chinese and the Russians have made a number of economic pacts or, you know, trade deals in which they are working directly with one another, you know, circumventing, you know, the U.N., circumventing the NATO, circumventing, you know, um, any other country that would like to see themselves as the middleman. So they're trading directly. And it's not only them, it's a number of other countries as well, so... Basically, you know, just keep your eyes open, pay attention to see what's going on. You know, I'm not extremely well-versed on that, but, you know, I try to read up on it and catch up, you know, some of the details from time to time, and that would benefit you as well. So that is that, you know. um, 
43 people that died, Hurricane Harvey, you know, over 43,000 people are in shelters and, you know, close to a half a million households, you know, were affected by that. So we need to, you know, again, you know, open our hearts and open our checkbooks to make sure that these people get a chance to start over. You know, some of the, you know, people that relocated to Houston, they relocated during Hurricane Katrina. And so one of the complaints that I heard about New Orleans was that the population, you know, um, hadn't increased. And so they were having a hard time rebuilding and keeping businesses open because they just didn't have the people there to spend the money and to, um, you know, keep the economy afloat. So, you know, we need to think about all of that. We need to, as I said, you know, help them out, send money, send resources. You don't have that, put the information out there because I know there are some people out there, they want to know where to send the money to because, again, you got people like me who don't trust the Red Cross, don't trust Salvation Army or any of those larger organizations because they do not specify how much money goes towards the people. And for the most part, the majority of the money goes to their top heavy management. So that is where the money is going. And even with some of these churches, I remember there were a couple of incidents, you know, over the years with these natural disasters, and you had some of these televangelists out here collecting money and then, you know, finally they put up some, you know, some, some disclaimers saying that half the money raised would go to the victims and the other half would go to the ministry. And I don't think that's what many people are looking to do. So it's, it's interesting, but, yeah, it's a lot going on. So, you know, black people, black Christian America, you know, let's let's talk about some of the stuff that's going on over this way. And so one thing that I've noticed and observed and saw from my you know, with my own eyes is this cult like following that many of these televangelists have. And I know some of you are out there like, cult, wait a minute, we weren't in a cult. You know, know, I'm not saying that you were in a cult. I'm talking about more so what they've tried to cultivate, um, you know, within the minds of the people who, you know, believe in a prosperity gospel, you know, believe in the megachurches and all of these things. And, And, you know, just trying to segue out from Hurricane Houston, but I can't do it without addressing Joel Osteen, right? And so Joel Osteen has the largest megachurch in the world, 1,000 members, so 40,000-plus members. And, you know, he didn't open his church during, during a hurricane. And so you had a number of excuses that, you know, came out as to why he didn't open his church. You know, one of the original excuses was, oh, the church is flooded. 
and then you had, you know, people, a couple of reporters going over there and showing that the church was not flooded. You know, the parking deck was not flooded, right? And so after people got done dragging Joel Olsen through the mud, you know, he finally opened up his church, and he did an interview. But, again, it went from, you know, oh, well, our church was flooded, just, just all kinds of things, you know, right here. You know, they're talking about, you know, what he had tweeted. And so he was putting out tweets like, yeah, God's got this. And don't drift into doubt and fear. Stay anchored to hope, right? And, and he was offering prayers. And, you know, it was so funny because, you know, his his church has over 16,000 seats. You know, those are seats. And, and then finally, you know, Mr. Olsen said the city didn't ask him to help them. You know, the city didn't ask them to become a shelter. But what is your purpose? And I said that not only to Mr. Olsen, but I'm saying this to Creflo. You know, I'm saying this to Bill Winston, you know, Paula White, you know, and a number of other ones that are out there, you know. Um, what's your purpose? I thought you were supposed to be there for the people. I thought that was your job. And see, you know, what I want you guys to pay attention to and to see is, again, the Republicans are playing Jedi mind tricks with a lot of you because they're trying, and, and what's so interesting is a lot of you all, you know, not black Christians necessarily, but I'm just talking about Christians overall. Quite a few of you voted for Donald Trump, even when it was against your, you know, your well-being. And so I guess I don't understand why you would do such a thing. And, you know, last week on the show I talked about you have too many everyday people trying to relate to these multimillionaires, billionaires, and, you know, you, we got a couple of people that's right there at the trillionaire class marker, right? And so, you know, it's about the worship of the money, the worship of the wealth, but you're setting yourselves up for a fall. And so, you know, when I look at this and, you know, I look at what these televangelists, these megachurch pastors, prosperity gospel pastors, you know, and, and you compare them to Trump, just do a, you know, just a brief comparative analysis. You know, the premise is the same. It's the same. Because they worship money. And the richer you are, you know, the more blessed you are. And if if you're poor, well, it's because you didn't have enough faith or you have sin in your life or any number of excuses. But it all boils down to what they do is they, they get you to blame yourself, you know, which is chipping away at your self-esteem, chipping away at your self-confidence. And they get to walk away scot-free. And, you know, it's, it's quite a few of you that are waking up to this phenomenon, you know, if you will. And we need more of you to wake up, but we want you to start questioning these things. 
you know, and especially some of you black Christians out there that follow, you know, these mega churches, mega pastors, prosperity gospel guys, and, you know, I want to make sure that I'm clear on this. You know, there was a rumor, an article, you know, being passed around about Creflo Dollar supporting Donald Trump. That's not true. Snopes, you know, um, debunked that. So, you know, I want you to pay attention, but kind of take that out of your argument because, you know, while on a personal note, I think Creflo Dollar supports Donald Trump. You know, um, he's not going to do anything to mess up his tax shelter. It's 501c3. So you need to keep that in mind. But, um, you know, it's a lot happening. It's a lot going on. We need you to pay more attention to it. So, um, yeah, you know, it's an article I hear. And what's so beautiful about it is that this is written by Dr. Anthea Butler, and I love her. You know, I saw her today on Joy Reid's show. But she wrote an article in the New York Times, and it talks about the cheap prosperity gospel of Trump and Osteen, and that's the name of the article the Cheap Prosperity Gospel of Trump and Osteen, and it was written by Anthea Butler. And so, you know, she was talking about the things that happened and, you know, Joe Hosting. And so what I find, you know, really interesting here is she says that, and I quote, Mr. Trump and Mr. Osteen are, mirror are mirrors of each other. Both enjoy enormous support among evangelicals, yet they lack a command of biblical scripture. Both are among the 1%. And that is correct. And so what was so interesting on today's show um, with Joy and, and Dr. Butler is you had that Mark Burns guy on there. And so the Mark Burns guy was trying his best to spin this particular issue and situation into Mr. Olsen's favor, and, you know, Anthea was over there cracking, uh, I mean, she was trying to stifle her laughter, but she couldn't do it, and I got it. I was right there with her, and Joy wasn't giving Mark Burns, you know, she wouldn't let him off the hook, so she didn't give him a lot of leeway, and it's interesting because they use Mark Burns to also um, to, to, to kind of counter the argument of A.R. Bernard when he left that council, you know, um, under Donald Trump. And so, you know, when you got people like Mark Burns out here, I mean, they can do a hell of a lot better than him, you know, because I'm sitting there and I'm looking at him and I'm looking at his poor members and I'm like, you, this guy is straight up doing Jedi mantra. I just can't believe that they fall for it. So anyway, um, Dr. Butler, in this article, you know, um, she was talking about Joel Osteen and his promoting your best life now and and, and Donald Trump, his art of the deal. And it's, it's like, you know, they're trying to promote themselves, promote their businesses or their own personal ministries and trying to sell this stuff to people who just lost everything. How are you going to sell something to someone who has nothing? And so, you know, I mean, the one of the arguments that people were making against the Twitter president 
was the hatch that he had on him and his wife, and they're selling for 40 bucks a pop. So he's continuously marketing himself. He's just a walking freaking billboard. And, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, people revere him as some type of expert, just like they do with, you know, Joel Osteen. And you're hurting yourself when you do that. And it is about them. It's about their brand. It's about their marketing. It's about their wealth. It's about them not really having anyone to answer to. So no real accountability, if you will. And it's just, you know, it's mind-boggling because I've seen this with a lot. I mean, I've visited some of these churches. I was a member at one of them at one point in time. And, you know, you see these people walking in with their Sunday finest, you know, and if you get to have a real conversation with them, you know, they'll tell you they've eaten nothing but peanut butter and jelly for a week or some, you know, bologna sandwiches because that's all they could afford. You know, even so, I mean, some of the horror stories that I've heard over the years is is amazing. And so what has happened is a lot of people have bought into that particular prosperity gospel. And so because they have been trained and guided into this particular type of mindset and belief system, it basically created a path, created an opportunity for an op- for someone like Donald Trump, a self-serving opportunist like Donald Trump, to be able to come in and win the presidency and win over a lot of people because he invokes the name of God every once in a while, but I don't think he believes it. And, and, and like I said, the way his campaign was set up to a certain degree, it was a model of the prosperity gospel and the teachings of prosperity gospel, which is why you have certain segments of society backing him unconditionally, not even thinking about it, you know, until they realize that their affordable, you know, health care is the same thing as Obamacare. They didn't understand that the Medicare that they collect is, you know, a so-called entitlement program. See, they want to keep all these things for themselves. They just don't want to share it with other folks. They don't want other people to have it. So, again, you know, um, one of the critiques for Donald Trump in his first visit to Houston was that he was he, he didn't show enough empathy. But, I mean, we've said on several occasions that the guy is a sociopath. And so he didn't show enough empathy. So the second time around, they took him, and I guess, you know, he did a little bit better. But I'm trying to understand, how can you judge this and say, oh, well, that performance was a little bit better when it was abominable from the very beginning from the onset? And, you know, and how are you trying to rate this president, you know, 
based on his past performance, when 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 the level of excellence has you know it's, it's gone even beneath the floor. It's not even at the floor anymore. It's lower than the damn floor. You know, I think we're just happy if he wakes up in the morning and and can speak a sentence, maybe not a real you know coherent sentence, but you know the standards of excellence you know have been just thrown out the window. They haven't been lowered. They're just gone. And so you know, it is interesting. So yeah, you know, because I mean the prosperity gospel. You know, again, you know, they'll have you thinking that everything that's wrong in your life is your fault, you know. And and what's interesting is some of the people that go to these churches can't understand why they have low self-esteem, low confidence, because you allow them to treat you that way. And what I mean by that is, you know, you give your money, you give your time, you give your resources, and whenever you say or do something that someone in leadership doesn't like, then, you know, they, they take that opportunity to call themselves dressing you down. And you go back for more, you know, and and you some of you say to yourself, you know, well, the Holy Spirit told him to say that I got to humble myself, you know, you know, I'm not doing things the godly way. And so what it does is it sets you up. It sets you up for, you know, abuse because there will be people that will come in and try to abuse abuse you on a number of different levels in a number of different ways. And, you know, you're going to have to take your agency back. And so, you know, um, you know, in this article that Anthea wrote, she was talking about Ben Carson and how he said that poverty was a state of mind. Now, that comes from the prosperity gospel. A lot of that comes from the prosperity gospel. You may not like it. You may not like hearing me say this, but it's true, you know. And, um, you know, it's a really good article. You guys should go out there and, you know, read it because um, she took some time out and put some great examples in here. You know, it's interesting, you know, because in the article she briefly said something about Ted Cruz seeking federal disaster aid, even though they voted against the same thing, you know, when people were seeking money from Hurricane Sandy. And you all need to go back and look at how all of that played out. You know, and when someone questioned Ted Cruz about this, he got angry and walked away. You know, and so... You know, part of me wants to be petty, but these are real lives in play. And so we have to, you know, take all of that into consideration. And so what I thought was really, really quite interesting that came out this week, and it was a particular one specific televangelist that, you know, I remember back in the day, everybody was loving them some Jim and Tammy Faye you know, and watching the PTL club and saving up their money so that they could buy a timeshare over in Heritage USA, you know. And, you know, for those that haven't paid attention, I need for you all to go and read this article. This came out on the 29th of August, and the title of the article is Televangelist Jim Baker 
Christians will start a civil war if Trump is impeached. Again, televangelist Jim Baker, Christians will start a civil war if Trump is impeached. And it was written by Josh Delk, D-E-L-K, Josh Delk. And, you know, now this is some Christo-fascist bullshit, you know, and thank you, you know, Anthony, for bringing this to my attention. You know, and, you know, guys, read that article. He's saying that they would begin a second civil war if they tried to impeach Donald Trump. And I'll give you a clip, I mean, a quote. It says, if it happens, there will be a civil war in the United States of America. The Christians will finally come out of the shadows because we are going to be shut up permanently if we're not careful. And, you know, this is, you know, what he said on his Jim Baker show. And he also warned that Christians are in danger of losing their voice in American society, which is not true. And, you know, what's interesting about that is Donald Trump plays that up as well. He plays up and he says that, you know, the war on Christians is a war on Christmas. It's a war on all of these things. And it's not just, you know, the Twitter president. They've been espousing this on Fox News for years. And so what they've done is they, they you know, they've pitted themselves against the rest of the world or, you know, non-Christians, but also they've made themselves the victim, you know, when that's not the case. Because the majority of Americans claim to be Christian, even though, I must say, and this has been rather surprising, we have an exodus happening at a lot of these churches. But just because there is an exodus at the churches, that does not mean that these people have stopped believing in God, Jesus, the Bible, the Koran, the, you know, the Torah for the Jewish folks, you know, um, all of that. That doesn't mean that they stop believing. And so this is one of the reasons why when I talk about the nuns, how we have to be very careful how we categorize them and, and, and you know, how we deal with that particular title because quite a few of them will say that they're spiritual or, or what have you. So, you know, we got to make sure that we're not guilty of the same thing that some of these other people are guilty of. But, um, yeah, yeah, you know, he's talking about it's going to be a civil war. And so you all really need to pay attention to um, these types of things because they mean this shit. They will come out and they will fight. And what's so interesting is, again, the number of um, the number of white Christians that are out there that tell black Christians, you know, you know. Leave this in God's hand, and and your reward will come. Your your reward will come in the next lifetime, and you know play those types of Jedi mind tricks on them, and and you know tell them well we'll speak for you, we know what's best, and you know what's so interesting is you know not only with Jim Baker but Paula White, who's also you know another white pastor or televangelist that's popular in communities of color, mainly black, you know, communities or black religious communities. And so, um, 
is interesting because she compared Donald Trump to Queen Esther and said that Donald Trump has been raised up by God. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, she had a conversation with Jim Baker, and, you know, they were discussing Donald Trump, and that's when she, you know, compared him to Queen Esther. And, um, you know, she said it's because they were unconventional choices. But go, go and read up on this. You know, you had... A lot of people out here um, just really muddying the water and and putting out, you know, these things. You had, you know, last year, right around Christmas time, when you had people comparing Donald Trump to Jesus. I was, and I remember talking about that on the show. And, you know, guys, go and look this up because, see, what they're doing is they're playing Jedi mind tricks and they're planting, planting these seeds in your head. And they know if they say it enough times, people will start believing it. The same thing with Donald Trump. He does that every time he gets to the microphone. I, You know what? Everything that comes out of his mouth, as far as I'm concerned, is a lie until it's proven otherwise. And he says some of the same things over and over, and that's done on purpose because after you say something after a few times, many people, especially if they're not utilizing critical thinking skills, they will start repeating the same thing, which is why you have people out here, you know, getting angry with the mainstream media. Now, I'm not one to say that, because the mainstream media is on some bullshit too. Granted, I get that, and, you know, a lot of the shit that they put out there and that they do is problematic for a number of reasons. However, in the case of the Twitter president, it's because they're not telling his narrative his way. He wants to dictate to them what they should and should not say. And you all need to pay attention because the way he's trying to set things up is he's trying to find ways to imprison these journalists, especially if they don't give up their sources. You know, and so, you know, I just want you to look, pay attention, you know, and um, one of the questions, I mean, one of the talking points or one of the things that I always would encourage, you know, members of these megachurch pastors or megachurches is, you know, ask why the pastor and his cronies are wealthy in this life, but you have to wait until their next lifetime to receive said wealth. You know, and what's interesting is a few of you all have figured out that, and so what did some of you do? You went to start your own little mini mega churches. It was interesting because, um, you know, even when I had walked away, I visited, you know, different churches here and there, and I remember um, one particular lady was a member of a church, but she had her own church, and so she was asking people to pray for her and to pray for her church and her mega church, you know, in its humble beginning, you know, so she was aspiring to be a prosperity pastor in a mega church, and, you know, that's troubling for a number of things, you know, you're asking, you know, and see, and that's where a lot of that arrogance comes in. 
So um, it's, it's, it's just wild. But, you know, again, it's not only with Christians. You see that in the secular community. You see a lot of this shit in, you know, the Jewish community as well. And you see some of the same fuckery in Muslim communities. I mean, you have people out here, and you have a lot of self-serving opportunists, and they're going to do and say what they got to do and say so that they can get what the hell they want, whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's power, influence, celebrity, whatever. You know, and and you all need to know that, and you need to take all of that into consideration. But, um, yeah, so it's a lot going on. And so I guess my question to, you know, some of the black Christians out there, you know, that, that, that are listening to the show, you know, do you really know what your pastor and your church is doing with the money? And, you know, one of the things I said in the little notes that I put for today's show is that you don't have to be white to be a white supremacist. You know, you have white supremacists in black community, Latinx community, indigenous, all of them. It's like they want white supremacy, but they want it in black space or, you know, you know, Latinx space or indigenous space. You know, it's like they want the same system but they only want it to benefit them and those that look like them and and their cronies. And so, you know, when you start looking at some of these ministries and how they're set up, you know, just start questioning things. Because I remember when I used to talk about, you know, a lot of these mega churches and prosperity, you know, preachers, I would categorize it as a Ponzi scheme, a pyramid scheme, and that's exactly what it is. You know, that hasn't changed. But it's a lot more happening with those ministries than a lot of people are aware of. And, you know, you need to pay attention. But you got to also remember, you know, that you matter. Your life matter. You know, your life matters. The lives of your children and all this. All of that matters, and if that happens, and if these pastors are doing the very things that they're telling you to do, why aren't they at the door handing money back to you? Why aren't they sowing their money into good soil? You know, in addition to that, you know, now there are some good churches out there, and I've seen some of them, and when I say good churches, what I mean is I've seen them give back to the community, I've seen them, you know, um, go out and help folks. I've seen them take money out of their own pockets. I've seen a number of things. But what I need for you all to understand is that, you know, that's only a handful of them. And some of the smaller churches, hell, you know, it may be pastor, his wife, or the pastor's husband, you know, a few of their kids and grandkids. I'm not talking about them. You know, if you have 75 or less members, I'm not necessarily talking about that church. Although I feel that the 501c3, the nonprofit status, should be snatched away from all of them, and that includes secular groups as well. However, if they want to keep that, that's fine, but they should be taxed, and they should be taxed at the commercial rate, and again, with the exception of 75 members or less. 
Because if you go and you, you know, pull the records, you know, um, with these nonprofit organizations, you all do know that you can go online and pull their records. You can pull their records as to how much money they've received and all of that. What I want you to do is go pull their records and, you know, start asking questions. Do Have they started businesses in the neighborhood? Have they hired the people in the neighborhood? Are they feeding the people in the neighborhood? Are they protecting the people? Are they giving them education? Are they helping them? And I know some of you all are like, you know, why are you bringing all of that up? That's not for the church to do. I agree. However, with these Republicans and the way that they're setting up Christians, and, you know, in many, many cases, some of these black Christians and Latinx Christians, they're setting you up because what they're trying to do is take these federal programs and move it off the, you know, off the federal dole because they don't want to deal with it anymore. And what they want to do is give that money to these churches so that you all can run these programs. And unfortunately, many of you do not have expertise, the time, or the infrastructure, or the volunteers to help you, you know, make these particular programs a success. And even I have a problem with you using volunteers to do a lot of this, you know, for the simple fact that they deserve to be paid too, just like you. And I also feel that these organizations should be required to pay Social Security taxes and all of these things on their employees because, you know, one of the biggest secrets that people don't realize is that some of these people who have dedicated their lives to the church, and I'm talking about the lay people, not the pastor and his cronies. And what I'm saying with that is once they retire from the church, many of them are destitute because the church didn't pay into Social Security for them. So that limits how much money they will be able to get from Social Security, if anything. And so, you know, you got to start looking at the bigger picture to see what's happening out here. But specifically, black Christian America and Latinx Christian America, look at the areas surrounding these churches, especially the larger churches, the mega churches. They are primarily in areas where their people are economically and educationally disadvantaged. You need to be asking yourself why. You need to be asking yourself why is it that most of their members drive in from other places to church, and why aren't these people outreaching to those in the community? In addition to that, there are some other things that you need to check on in this line. I want to share some things with you guys, but I, I'm, I'm going to hold some of that close to me, right, because I, I think I, you know, I got to start writing again, you know, but... You know, I think, yeah, I'm going to use some of that information for some of the articles that I want to create. i got to make myself get into that mindset. But you need to pay attention because there is no reason why the areas around those particular churches, there's no reason for, you know, high unemployment rates. You know, there's no reason for anyone to be going to bed hungry. You know, and and what's interesting, again, they're setting you up to fail because once they push that off the federal register and start pushing it out to, you know, these particular churches, you know, again, you have greed. There's some people that's just going to try to take a lot of that for themselves. 
and do the bare minimum to, you know, kind of just skate by, but show that they did a little something so that, so that it won't raise too many red flags. Again, they want to allow some of these preachers to be able to preach politics from the pulpit, which creates, you know, a whole different type of dichotomy there, and we got to be very careful with that. But in addition to that, um, they want to be able to funnel, you know, um, donations. You know, they want to be able to turn these churches into PACs, political action committees, which means a lot of money will flow through the church, and the church can give it to their, you know, their candidate of choice. You know, and like I said last week at the end of the show, I need these Latinx and black parishioners and some of these poor white parishioners, we need for you to wake up. Because at the end of the day, and this is the truth, your pastor, you know, doesn't make you. You make him. He needs your money. And this message is especially geared toward women of color. Women of color basically are the reason why these mega churches and these pastors are wealthy. And I need for you to think about that. You know, because you got some of these women out here that are giving the money, giving the time, giving the resources, even if it's to the detriment of their children. And so, again, you know, when you go back into history and, you know, you see all of the respectability, politics, and all of that other bullshit out there. For a long time, the only place that a woman of color could go, a black woman could go without arousing suspicion was the church. So, you know, that's where a lot of this tradition and this ritual come from. And even to a certain extent, that's the, that's the you know, case today in, in many respects. And, you know, we're going to have to have a dialogue, a conversation about that. But, yeah, women, it's your money. And when you're the one who controls the purse strings, you can actually start, you know, making it and in, in, in affecting some change. And you really do need to start questioning your pastors and holding them accountable. And the same thing with the people in the neighborhoods. You know, start boycotting some of these churches. And I know some of you are like, well, how are you going to boycott a church? How are you going to do all of these things? All it takes is one person, get the right information behind you, you know, how much money, you know, how much revenue is being taken from your community? You know, your children, are they going to school that have, you know, 10, 15, 20-year-old books or not enough books for all the kids to share the books? You know, are they being served rotten, moldy food at school? You know, these are things that you need to pay attention to. You know, um, in some cases, hell, some of these schools have brand-new computers and books in the basement. But because of administration, you know, they remain in the basement untouched. And then people forget about them. And then 10 years later, when someone goes down to the basement and finds all of that stuff, they're like, oh, so then you want to give the kids the books. You know, then you want to put up 10-year-old computers. They're nothing but doorstops by that time. You know, and so we need for you all to become more active in your communities. 
more vocal, all of those things. Because it's important when you have these white and black televangelists and megachurch pastors out here telling you that Donald Trump was sent by God. And in some cases, you have some of them up here saying that he's the second coming of Jesus. And, you know, that's the most ridiculous thing ever that I've ever heard. But in addition to all of that, you know, you have some out here saying that his election was a prophecy being fulfilled. And so what's interesting about this is that you can take any situation that happens and you can twist it into meaning what you want it to mean. You know, and 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 too many of us are out here and we rely on confirmation bias. You know, and um you know, I want you guys to look up Dunning Kruger because there are a lot of people making bad decisions based on misinformation and bad information. And that happens across the board. And so you need to be very, very, very careful with all of this um, because this is dangerous. This is dangerous. And, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention one more group of people in Texas and in New Orleans that we can't forget, you know, not only those that, you know, renters and, you know, um, on the lower rung of the socioeconomic ladder. You can't forget the homeless. You know, I got to make sure I put that in there because I wanted to make sure I didn't forget anybody. But the homeless, the elderly, and the disabled, we got to make sure, you know, we, we take them into consideration too. Sorry to veer off topic, but it finally came back to my remembrance, and I wanted to make sure that I put that out there. You know, you got these young kids, these babies. So anyway, um, yeah, black Christian America, you know, just because a person shares, you know, the same skin color, maybe know some of the same songs, hell, what they talk about the six degrees of separation, maybe your, you know, second or third cousin, whatever the situation may be, you know, not all of these people have your best interest at heart. And it's time for you to start questioning this. And like I said, you know, um, I know on the last show I talked about black nationalists and how they're the same as the white nationalists and the reason why you see that, you know, little alliance happening. And I know some of you are like, you know, where is she getting this shit from? Just look it up. You know, look, look up um, black nationalists alt-right, white supremacist, um, um, friendship, alliance, you know, put those type of keywords in your Google search and you will be amazed at what comes up. And so, you know, the thing that many of these, you know, white white supremacists and these non-white white supremacists have in common is they all, well, not all of them, but many of them believe that the answer to all of our problems is capitalism, you know, and that the man should be, you know, the breadwinner and, 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 you know, head of the household so you get that patriarchy going there, right? And unfortunately, you have a lot of homophobia there too. Even when some of them are, 
you know, in the life or members of the LGBTQ community. You know, and this is why I know some people get confused when I talk about homophobia and transphobia in the LGBTQ community. It happens. And so, you know, black Christians, when are you going to take your power back? Because it's, it's really interesting how with your pastors, everything that they hate, their God hates. Even if it's detrimental to your mental health, some of you all go right along with it. You'll belt out those talking points. And then you wonder again why you have such low self-esteem and why, you know, you, you haven't put any or reached any of your aspirations. Because in some cases, you have these people running to the pastors, you know, or these TV preachers asking what they should do. And, of course, you know, some of these, especially if it's a smaller church and you're giving money and you're helping out, the pastor does not want to lose you. He needs your money and he needs your, you know, your time and your resources. And if you're saying that you want to quit your job and open your own business and, you know, and and it's going to be rough but you can do it, he don't want to lose those donations, and so he'll probably turn around and tell you, well, God told me to tell you that it's not time. You know, or, you know, I've seen situations with people losing out on job opportunities, you know, educational opportunities, or walking away from it because the pastor had a dream and, and you know, the spirit spoke to him and told, you know, him to tell you, you don't need to be in school right now. You know, um, you know, you don't need to be leaving your job to start. I mean, it's just all matters of skullduggery, seeing, and that's on both sides. But, you know, right now I'm talking to the black Christians, and you need to realize your worth. You need to realize that in all actuality you are the ones in control. You control the purse strings. And you'll hear these pastors, you know, say, well, no, I got my own ministry. I don't take any money from the church. I take a salary of a dollar a year. However, the money that you receive from the congregation, you use that to establish and to build your ministry, and you make money from that trying to separate yourself from the church, but the funds are still funneled through to your ministry. And also, had they not given you the money, again, you would not have had the seed money to start up your ministry. And also, if they didn't buy your product, your ministry would flop. It would collapse. So, you know, again, those are your resources. And, you know, what I don't understand is, is, how you all can allow these particular churches to be set up in your neighborhoods, you know, taking away money, because, again, you got to remember your 501c3, no taxes. So that money is being sucked up out of your neighborhood. You complain about your kids going to dilapidated schools, you know, reading torn up books, having to share, and not really learning, you know, all of this is tied together, and it's tied together with perpetual poverty. 
And when you you know, and and, and it's not just that simple. It's, it's it's a rather complex problem, which is why you know I would encourage you to go out and do some research into urban planning to understand how that came about. And also, if you're going to do this, you know, like I said, I've done a number of shows about these particular topics, but, you know, the Federal Housing Authority, how they created the segregation in housing in this country, and how you have different communities, the black community, the Latinx community, how we're corralled into certain areas, particularly in these, and then we're surrounded by white enclaves, that's on purpose. And people get angry with me when I call it gentrification, when I call it, you know, being deported from your from your neighborhood. But they also get mad at me when I say that the inner city and the boroughs that black and Latinx people live in, they're nothing but reservations, black reservations, Latinx reservations. Like you got the Indian reservations. This is not a mistake. And we need for you guys to understand that. And, you know, go and do your research. I want you to do your research. I purposefully only give a little bit of this and a little bit of that because I want you to go out on your own and, and, you know, you'll pick up some things that will definitely blow your mind. But, you know, something has to be done. And the only way that this is going to take place is if you, you know, you stand up, stop giving them your money, start making demands. You know, there is no reason why these churches, you know, and these secular organizations, you know, all of them across the board, they should be paying taxes. You know, and again, the people in that neighborhood you know, go out there and start picketing them, you know, because otherwise nothing is going to get done, and it's only going to get worse. And for those black and Latinx and indigenous and Jewish and all these folks, you know, that went out there and voted for Donald Trump, whether you thought he was a prophet, whether you thought it was prophecy being fulfilled, whether you think he's the second coming of whomever or any of these things, um, what you need to be asking yourselves is why is your pastor or TV preacher supporting them? And I can guarantee you that it all boils down to money. And like I said, there's way too many of you out here that are trying to relate to these millionaires, multimillionaires and billionaires, different worlds, different problems. For those that had a problem with the lack of empathy showed by Donald Trump, yeah, he can't relate to you. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. That is all he knows. He knows nothing about poverty. He knows nothing about struggle. He knows nothing about oppression and on and on and on. And you need to understand that. You know, and even some of the ones that, were born poor and lived poor and acquired their wealth, some of them do give back. Some of them do remember. And so I got to give credit to them. But what's interesting are the ones that, you know, the ones that don't, the ones that know that there's a disconnect, 
but don't care because they got out and they got what they want. You know, we gotta you gotta be smart about this. You gotta be smart. You need to start asking questions, the hard questions, not softballing. You know, what's happening in a lot of our communities, you know, HIV AIDS is a damn pandemic. And unfortunately, with a lot of these churches, they don't address that particular issue. What they do is once a year, you know, they have this grant that's given out. You apply for the grant money. And so for one week out of the year, and sometimes it's only one weekend, they'll talk about it. Well, they, they may not even talk about it. They'll just put some of the information up front if they do that. But they're paid to talk about it, you know, and, you know, your members are dying off left and right, you know, not only with, you know, um, you know, chronic illnesses, because it just goes on, it goes beyond HIV and AIDS. It goes to diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, you know, lupus, you know, sickle cell, leukemia, you know, a number of different chronic illnesses that are out there. We won't even talk about mental health care. You know, and these are issues that aren't being addressed. And I really do believe you all need to start putting some pressure on these pastors and these preachers. Because how are things going to get done? You know, and and at this point, you know, the way that things are being set up is the few resources that are there are going to be taken away. You know, I want you to guys to go and pay, pay attention. Go look at your state records. Look at what's happening in your state. Have they decreased the amount of money that they once offered for mental health care, um, you know, mental health care education and, and resources and availability? You know, the hospitals that are in these economically and educationally disadvantaged neighborhoods, have they shut down? their psych wards, have they, you know, closed, you know, a lot of the little local clinics that dealt with, you know, any of the issues instead of going to the emergency room, you can go to the little corner clinic and, you know, they can write you up a prescription real quick for whatever is going on with you. You know, we've seen those closing, you know, all across the country. But what happens is you all need to understand is the amount of money that the federal government stipends or gives to them, that amount of money stays the same. And that also includes LINK, that includes um, Section 8, and a number of other, you know, programs. The federal government still gives them the same amount of money. And what the state does is they push people off the road. They push them off so that, so that way they can use those excess funds to fund their pet projects and to do other things. So, you know, you need to know this. You need to know this. And if they're trying to push all of these programs onto the church, it's going to fail. And they want it to fail. And so, again, you're being set up. Not only is the church being set up, but, you know, the parishioners, you're being set up too. And so we need for you to look at long-term big picture, long-term big picture, because, you know, it is going to affect you. 
And as I've stated before on this show a long time ago, it is to my benefit to make sure that Pookie and Ray Ray eat and that Pookie and Ray Ray, you know, have jobs, you know. And, you know, what's unfortunate is a lot of these young folks and some of the issues we see happening with them is because they feel as though they have no future. They have nothing to live for. They have nothing to look forward to. So what are we going to do? Because we still live in these neighborhoods. We still interact with these people. Some of these people are related to us. You understand? You know, they're our brothers, our sisters, our cousins, our aunts, uncles, you know, second, third cousins. And even if they're not related to you, you should want to make sure that they eat. You should want to make sure that they have access to economic and and educational opportunities. And so this is what you're seeing in this country. You're seeing shit being dialed back. You're seeing things being snatched away. You're seeing things, you know, that, that used to be readily available to you now they're not, and if you're trying to get to it, now you got to pay to get to it. And so you have all of this happening, but unfortunately we don't have enough people out here asking why and challenging the powers that be. There are some changes that need to be had, that need to take place in black and Latinx and indigenous and poor whites communities. However, you have a lot of scared people out there, and I get that, and I understand it, you know, because there are some things that I want to do, but I can't because if I do A, B, or C, then X, Y, and Z is going to be, you know, basically the rug is going to be pulled from under me. And, you know, I'm just not in a position to allow that to happen. You know, and so it's like, what do you do? How do you help? And um, I guess, you know, the way that I see it is at this point, because you have a number of these preachers out here, you know, I remember when the controversy with Kim Burrell broke out. That was either earlier this year or late last year. And you had people like Shirley Caesar and a number of other ones defending her. Um, you know, some words that were spoken by Donnie McClurkin and, you know, a number of these, you know, black Christian celebrities. And, you know, what I want to ask you, black Christian America, is why why are you why are you following no that's not it you know i'm trying to figure out how to phrase this without being a total asshole about it right but what i don't understand is how you are attempting to model your life after people who are just human. They're human just like you. You know, it's interesting because I'll hear people say, oh, well, they got the anointing and all of these things. And, you know, 
all right, I get it. But this is the thing. You have that anointing too. You know, I was talking to someone, and I was asking about certain decisions that had been made and, and situations that occurred, and, and they said that they were seeing the anointing, but only to find out that the anointing was within them the whole time, right? And so, you know, I guess what I don't understand is if these people are up here verbally, psychologically, emotionally abusing or damaging you, why do you cling to them even harder? That's not helping you. You know, and what I would like to see, you know, in these particular communities, but, you know, specifically, you know, the black Christian church and the Latin Christian church and all of that, you know, I think there needs to be a healing. There needs to be affirmation. There needs to be outreach, education. There needs to be love. You know, and and when I say this, you know, I'm I'm just talking about your church family and how families should be, you know, and nurturing, all of those good things. You know, I'm not saying anything about the Bible or the Quran or the Torah, any of those books, because I have major conflicts with a lot of things that are written in those books. However, when you have a congregation or you have you know, a group of people that are loyal to you, that are coming out, that are supporting you no matter what. What are you sowing into their lives? What are you giving back to them other than a couple of hours of entertainment? So, again, are you sowing your seed into good soil? As far as I'm concerned, your members in the community around your church is the good soil. If you were to invest more money, time, and resources into your members, into the surrounding community, it will it will yield fruit. You will get a return on that particular investment. So the parishioners and the congregants, I don't understand. Why aren't you making demands? See, you don't ask people for shit like this. You demand it. And when you start taking your money away and you close your pocketbook, it will get their attention. And so what's happened is, you know, a lot of Americans, even when I say this, I'm talking about all Americans, regardless of whatever. There are more of us than there are of them. And unfortunately, many of you guys have you know, no sense of how much power you really do wield and how much control we really do have collectively. And so I was having, you know, a great conversation with an old friend this weekend, and we were talking about individualism versus collectivism. And, you know, again, individualism, great, wonderful, however, that does not wield or yield the same amount of power as we 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 have collectively. 
And this is, you know, and, and we're going to have to go back. We're going to have to go back. We're going to have to revisit this and start talking about this even more. Because, see, when we look at this as individualistic, right, what it does is it's a divide-and-conquer type of tool in certain situations. And, you know, um, I'll give you an example. You know, when you have people out here, and, you know, especially the ones that are so-called allies, and that will say, well, stop your bitching and your whining and all of that. You know, you, you can do whatever you want to do. Look at Michael Jordan. Look at Oprah. Look at Tiger Woods. You know, look at the Williams sisters. And, and you know, what you got to understand, and these people, they understand this, especially some of these white allies. They know exactly what they're doing and what they're saying when they, when they you know, use those particular talking points or pull those you know, tropes out of their little, you know, bag there. And what happens is you need to understand that these people are the exception and not the rule. And you need to understand that argument and how it's set up, you know, and, you know, it's a straw man. And, you know, a lot of times we get that type of rhetoric, get those types of responses from people, and in in some cases, it's because they don't want to have that dialogue. They don't want to communicate and talk about what's really happening out here. And unfortunately, you know, there are too many of us that are buying into that same type of bullshit because, you know, you have people out here that are pointing the finger and blaming the black community for the conditions that we are in. And, you know, many of them point, look at the Asians, look at the Hispanics, you know, look at all of these folks. And you know what? I used to be one of those people, and I used to think the same way. But, again, as you learn better, you do better, which is why I'm always in a book. You know, I haven't thrown out a book list in a while or, you know, some books for you guys. Um, Let me see if I can remember to do that. You know, I'm going to go over here and look now what I got on my Kindle. But, um, you know, education reading, you know, and and once I started reading more and more, you know, other things started making sense, especially with some of you that are out there and, you know, you resent some of the decisions that were made by your parents and your grandparents or even your, you know, your spouse or your significant other and even in some cases yourself. And, you know, you sometimes, like, you can't quite put your finger on it, but you're mad at yourself about whatever. You know, you got to realize and you got to understand as you read more and educate yourself more, you will realize that um, in many situations, the choices that you had been given, you know, all the choices were bad. You just had to pick the less fucked up one. So that's all you really had. And so some of us, you know, hold that resentment and that anger and, you know, a number of issues, you know, hold that against the people in our lives without realizing, you know, the position that they were in and how they were backed into a corner. And so, you know, you got to start looking at this a little bit different, but 
you know, black Christian America, you don't really, to me, I don't think you all understand your wealth. You don't understand your power, and you need to take it back. Now, will your pastors like it? Nope. Will other members of the church like it? Nope, especially if they're in a nice, comfortable position, you know, and, um, you know, they're in that inner circle. And you're going to have people talk about you. You're going to have people talk about you. You're going to have people berate you. And that's one of the things they teach you. You know, pastor, the overseer, you know, the white person, whomever, they don't have to say a thing. Why? Because they've already trained other people of color to go and trot out those particular tropes and talking points. And so, you know, it's like it's, it's, it's a vicious cycle. And, you know, what I find interesting, you know, the most interesting is, you know, with some of these so-called allies that are out here, um, how they want to speak for you, yet they haven't taken time out to speak to you. So how are you going to speak for some people that you don't even talk to? that you can't relate to. And so it's, it's interesting, but, um, yeah, so let me see here. How do I want, you know, I'm going to tell you guys some books. Like I said, we're going to do part two next week, but some of the books I just bought on, on Kindle, Class, Race, and Marxism by David Rodiger, um, another book by Richard Rosen, uh, Richard Rothstein, The Color of of Law, a Forgotten History of How Our Government Works, um, James Whitman, Hitler's American Model. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to skip through these here. Beyond Respectability, The Intellectual Thought of Race Women, as Brittany Cooper. Um, black, white, black Right, White Wrongs, The Critique of, liberal, of Racial Liberalism. And that was written by Charles Mills. Revolutionaries to race leaders, you know, black power and making of you, know, um, Cedric Johnson, right? And it's 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 quite a few, you know. Um, another one, Baldwin for Our Times, written by James Baldwin. Picked up the book. Um, let's see here. These are financial books. Let's, let's scroll down. Um, this one here, I can't wait to read this. I really need to start reading this this week. But it's called Cyber Racism, White Supremacy Online and a New Attack. Um, it's written by Jesse Daniel. So, you know, that's a few of the books that are in my collection. You know, they're not all new books. I've had some of these for a while. I just haven't had a chance to read them yet. But, um, you know, it should be, you know, some good reading here a lot of books that are out there. Um, I'm going through my little list now. And some of the other books that are out here that I have on my Kindle. I have not gotten to all of them, but I got one, um, I Am Not Your Negro. It's a companion book to the documentary. So that there, um, From Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation, you know, Dr. Kianga. Taylor wrote that. Um, for those who haven't read it, The Assassination of Fred Hampton, excellent, excellent book. Um, Black Marxism by Cedric Robinson. 
you know, hammer and hoe. It talks about Alabama and the communist movement during the Great Depression by Robin D.G. Kelly. You know, it's just a lot of great books out there, and that's not even including the books that, you know, I need to get on for um, school. So, you know, guys, like I said, you know, we're going to do part two next week and, you know, talk about this a little bit more in depth because, you know, I'm up here and I'm talking to you all about the amount of money that, you know, you're you're pumping into these churches. So next week I'll have, you know, some figures and some statistics for you and, you know, talk a little bit more about how to take your power back, how to take your agency back. Because unfortunately, you know, far too many of you make life-changing decisions based on tools of manipulation that other people utilize in an effort to control and exploit you. You know, I was trying to find a better way to say that, you know, a softer way to put it, but I can't. You know, and so I don't want you to take this as an assault on the black Christian community or the black church because it's not. What I'm saying is we need to start questioning these folks, and especially since they have the Twitter president in office and the Republican controls both houses of Congress, there are a lot of changes that could be made. And I guess, fortunately, depending on how you look at it, they haven't been able to get anything done because they're too busy, you know, fighting each other. And what they've done is expose the fact that they don't know how to govern. But either way it goes, once they pull all that together and start pushing down, you know, these changes, it's going to have an effect upon our communities. And you all need to be aware. You also need to be prepared for about, you know, what's about to come your way. So, um, you know, you got a lot of folks out here that are, like I said, white supremacists. They're not necessarily white-skinned. But, you know, I want you guys to go out and take a look at statistics regarding white supremacists and, and membership in these white supremacists, white nationalists, and Nazi groups. They've increased, and they started increasing when Barack Obama was put into office. And so what's interesting with some of these people, you know, that are part of the white supremacist culture there um, is particularly the KKK. And they say that basically some of them think that the KKK um, is more family-oriented and looking out for, you know, the, the best interests of white people. And, you know, I find that interesting. Because if you look at, you know, some of these other communities and the way that they have things set up is, you know, again, they'll present an image that is allegedly, you know, family-oriented. But when you look a little closer, you go behind the scenes, you'll see that it's a fucking ruse. So, you know, it's been an interesting awakening for myself. And, you know, again, last week I was talking about, 
that article and, you know, how I found it depressing, although true, you know, and, and you know, dystopian in nature. It's just, it's so much happening. But, you know, again, part of this is development. Part of this is growing. Part of this is evolving, even when it's extremely uncomfortable. And see, and that's the thing, you have a lot of people out here that do not want to experience discomfort in in any kind of way, in any respect. But that's the only way we're going to get a lot of things done. And, you know, it's going to kick us all, many of us, out of our comfort zone. Are you ready to do it? Are you willing to do it? So, again, like I said, you know, we'll do part two next week, and, you know, we'll pull out that and some more information. But one thing I would tell you guys to do in preparation um, for next week's show, and you know what, it's probably, I don't know what I'm going to do, because I think I've pretty much gotten my point across and the conversation that I want to have with Black Christian America is way more in-depth and is not centered around Donald Trump, not centered around these white televangelists that are taking advantage of black, brown, red, yellow, and white folks, Um, and not talking about the black televangelists and preachers that are taking advantage of the same group of people. You know, it's, it's much more to it, and it's much deeper. And, you know, a lot of this, you know, it just goes all the way back. And because we haven't had, you know, far-reaching conversations regarding, you know, slavery and the effects of slavery on our lives now, slavery, racism, um, Jim Crow, you know, the Reconstruction, Black Codes, all of that, all of that has played a much bigger role in the condition of many of our communities than people want to admit or even realize. And this is one of the reasons why when we talk about certain things and I talk about certain rhetoric being extremely dangerous, you know, there's a reason for it. You know, you'll have some of these so-called white allies out here that will tell you to chill out, tone it down, or you talk to them and then they'll talk to the other white people, right? Because the other white people can't, you know, relate to you, but they can relate to them because they're talking in a more quote unquote civil manner. Now I hope you guys know that's some bullshit right there. And um you need to start, you know, questioning that. Even in some regards they'll have, you know, a particular black person who's non-threatening, who's one of their tokens, you know, one of their favorites, and they'll say, well, you know, we can relate to this person, to him or her. And no, it's not that they can relate to them. It's about the fact that they know that person will roll over and say and do anything for validation, for money, for acknowledgement, all of that. And so, you know, they're going to pick, you know, the road the easiest. You know, they're not going to try to run down the road that has the barbed wire and, you know, the, 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 you know, the grenades and the mines and all of that shit going off 
they're going to walk down a road that has no nothing, you know, that will encumber them, you know. And so you got to put all of that together. You got to get a better understanding of all of that. But, yeah, we're kind of caught up in the middle of a whole bunch of bullshit here. And, you know, black Christian America and even black Muslims, you know, you need to take your control back. You need to take your agency. And you need to take back your voice. And, you know, I know that's easier said than done. But what I find interesting, you know, right now, especially living within the particular cultural and political climate that we're living in, is that you'll have people out here that will tell you, well, we don't care what you have to say. We don't, you know, we don't want to hear that. So, you know, just be quiet and go away. You need to ask why. And in some cases, it's because they don't want outliers or they don't want marginalized people to lift their voices and to have a say-so. Why? Because, again, it makes life very uncomfortable for them. And unfortunately, you know, with with some of these allies or so-called white allies out here, they know exactly what they're doing. And unfortunately, we have come to rely on them way too much to our detriment. And now that many of us are pushing back, you have these same particular people that are like, well, fine, be that way. And they want to walk away and leave you to your own devices because you will not allow them to dictate the narrative. You will not allow them to be your, you know, great white spokesperson. You will not allow them to factor you out or to erase you out of the history. And you will not allow them to put their hand up your butt, control the words of your mouth to make it seem as though you're the one that's talking, but it's really them. So you got to keep that in mind. You got to put that in perspective. You got to also start questioning and asking. Well, you have these so-called allies, these so-called white, you know, liberal and progressive folks that claim to be for us, you know, but they want us to tone it down. They want us to take it slow. You need to ask why. You know, why do they? Why do they want to see? small incremental progress as opposed to sweeping progress across the board for everyone. You need to be asking why. You need to think about that. And so, yeah, we're going to do part two next week, but, you know, again, we'll have some stats, some statistics. But in addition to that, we are going to have, you know, a really, really good conversation about these white allies. And and the impediment that some of them have become over the years and why you see some of them getting angry when we confront them, 
you know, about white supremacy and white privilege and, and ask them, you know, are you confronting the people, you know, in, in your family, at your job, you know, your friends, all of that. And they get angry with that. And so, like I said last week, when I was, you know, just getting into the talk, and I was talking about some of the white feminists and how when feminists of color start asking questions and making them uncomfortable, then the white feminists want to point the finger and say that that person is being divisive when that's not the case. And so that's why you have people like me and others that are coming out and, you know, saying that we will not and do not support these mainstream organizations, and it's because of this here, X, Y, and Z. There are reasons for that, you know, and so, and that's not to say that we don't work or won't work with, you know, these mainstream organizations, because, of course, there are some things that we're going to have to collaborate on, but unfortunately, you have way too many people out here that believe that if they give you money or recognition or validation or any of those things, that you are beholden to them. And unfortunately, with with too many of us, you know, we've been held to that and we follow that. We are loyal to people who don't even know we freaking exist, you know. And so it's a lot of things that need to be questioned that need to be brought out. But again, you know, how can your black pastor or your white pastor, any of them, or these TV preachers, how can they endorse and fall in line and fall behind someone like Donald Trump, especially in light of what happened in Charlottesville? How can they ignore that? And you need to ask why. And again, it comes down to money, control, you know, manipulation, exploitations. You are being exploited and manipulated because with many of these pastors and preachers, they tell, you know, their counterparts, their political, you know, what have you, that they can deliver, that they can get their people to either vote or spend money or to adopt particular talking points. You know, it's interesting because everybody wants to point to, you know, marriage equality and abortion, you know, and issues like that, you know, even, um, you know, wealth inequality, and, and, but particularly abortion and, you know, um, um, marriage equality and, you know, homosexuality. You know, they what a lot of these, religious people do is what they they will have their members, you know, their their fans or what have you, they would they they'll get them focused on those particular issues and have them carry out, you know, these these different scenarios, whether it's the talking points or, you know, whether it's they go out there and pick it and all of these things. But some of you don't realize that there's a lot of money behind that and a lot of political power and just power in general and how you're being used. 
And you're definitely being manipulated and exploited. And it's unfortunate because, you know, you know, most of you would say, well, I went out there on my own volition. No one made me do anything. Well, that's true. Well, what they did was they planted seeds in your head. And like I said, you know, um, you know, with them calling Donald Trump the second coming and, you know, saying that it's a prophecy being fulfilled. And you're hearing this over and over again through different talking heads, seeing it in different articles, hearing it from other folks, and you start to believe it. And that's why it's dangerous when you have people like the Twitter president and his cronies out here repeating the same things over and over. They know exactly what they're doing. And we need for you to pay attention and to start pushing back. Stop sending these people your money. And that's across the board. That's even in the secular community. The same bullshit happening over here. So... You know, it's it's been interesting. It's been a very, very interesting um, development and evolution, if you will. But, um, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, um, it's a lot happening. And, you know, I just want you guys to stay encouraged and keep moving forward. And like I said, find some of the local groups out there in Houston and, like I said, you know, send supplies, send money. If you don't have that, that's cool, we understand, but post links so that people will know, you know, have reference guides. Personally, I wouldn't send a dime to Red Cross Salvation Army or any of these televangelists. Don't send them a damn dime. But, um, you know, find the local groups, you know, Black Lives Matter Houston, um, you know, they're you know, doing work and helping out. But we got to remember that quite a few of them lost everything as well. So that's why you have different people who were sent down there to kind of help out, you know, with, with this tragedy. So you have, you know, not only the BLM, but they have other groups there. And I have put it, I had tweeted it out. But what I'm going to do is go back and find those tweets with a couple of articles, and I'll post them on the Facebook page, and I'll throw it over to Tumblr and all of that. So I just have to find it a little bit later, and I'll post them again. But, yeah, you know, and like I said, I'm pretty sure they're appreciative of the positive thoughts and the prayers and all of that, and that's all wonderful. But, you know, these are lives that have been turned upside down and even destroyed in in certain instances. And, you know, again, you know, I talked earlier about the undocumented and the documented immigrants and their fear of, you know, basically being taken into custody for asking for help or seeking, you know, shelter. And that's wrong on a number of levels. So, you know, I posted that article showing, you know, all the water in that senior home. So we can't forget the senior. That's why I was talking about the adult diapers and things. You know, um, you know, they're going to need things like, you know, catheters and, you know, just a number of things. You know, these people, you know, some of the disabled and the older, you know, everyday people, but they lost their medication. So, you know, they may not have the medication they need. 
They may not have the supplies they need. You know, with the diabetics, they got to check their sugar, you know, all of that. They lost everything. And so, you know, it's important. And even with, you know, because I mentioned earlier, well, later on in the show, I talked about the elderly, the disabled, and I brought up the homeless people. And I'm hoping, and we need to start, you know, putting some pressure on them and looking into this, but, you know, building, you know, more affordable, you know, housing and, you know, even more transitional homes and things of that nature for people that are homeless. We can't forget about them. Very, very important. And so I want to say hi to Lauren. She retweeted something of my, and this is the honest to goodness truth, how can you be pro-black and be anti-DACA? You know, that doesn't make any sense. So, um, guys, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Like I said, next Tuesday, next, uh, next Tuesday, next week, um, part two, and we'll get a little bit more in depth. And, you know, even with that show, I'm going to have some numbers, some statistics. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, abuse exploitation, manipulation, and just a number of other things um, that happen when you kind of give yourself over to some of these people and how they manipulate and exploit anyone, you know, if it's it's going to help them get what they want and help them to succeed. So you need to understand you know, who and what you're dealing with. So on that note, I'm out of here. I made it through the whole two hours, you know, five minutes short, but don't don't talk about me too bad. But this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that again. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself and convert you. We'll be doing part two next week. All right, you guys, go on out and try to enjoy some of your weekend. Take care. Bye-bye.